electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the next leg of the rally as stocks continue their post-Fed pop. Now we ask the investment committee which sectors are now in play, given Chair Powell's pivot. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Rob Seach, and Jim Labenthal. Everybody's here at Post 9 today. Markets, we are trading at record highs on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, still above 37,000. The 10-year lowest level since July. Small caps with a 52-week high. The market, Josh, is raising now the probability of cuts. March, 85%. May and June, 100%. Hot CS over at Goldman. We expect earlier and faster cuts from the Fed. Our question to you first, um, does this pivot clear the way for the next leg of the rally? I think the next leg of the rally didn't wait for this pivot. I think it front ran it. Let's put up a chart of IWN. This is small cap value. This is the place to be. We talked about this around Thanksgiving time. If you're betting on a year end where everyone's chasing and people who weren't in NVIDIA and Apple, what are they going to do? We said this is what they're going to do. This is what they did. IWN, small cap value ETF, is up, get ready for this, 18% over the last 30 days which, of course, is ridiculous until you realize how much catch-up it has to play just to get anywhere close to what large-cap S&P 500 names did. That compare, that 18% is versus 7% total return for both the triple Qs and the SPX. So that catch-up trade has worked. We knew it would come. It did come. It comes every year you get this much outperformance from the large caps. I think there's still room. Look at the 52-week high list today away from small caps. It's anything but large cap tech. I guess Intel, with the exception of Intel, but it's, it's, Bla- it's uh, Blackstone, BX, Lenar, Pulte Homes, Home Depot, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, 52-week highs. None of those companies do AI. No AI, okay? That's the message. The catch-up trade is working. I think it's got room. It can continue to work. Okay, so Rob Seachin, um, Goldman's head of hedge fund client coverage, Tony Pascarello, normally puts a note out you know, into the weekend. He put one out today just before we came on the air in which he says, quote, I suspect there's still a little bit of gas left in the tank. To Josh's point on small caps, he says, this was the exposure that most everyone in the community was short at some point in 2023. Well, those shorts are being covered. We've entered a seasonally strong period. Furthermore, a backdrop of easier financial conditions alongside a totally decent growth trajectory fundamentally argues for strength in small caps. Do you agree? Do agree. Higher for longer has been taken off the table. Refinancing risk has has come down. I think there's going to be a broadening out of markets. When you look at this from a macro level, Scott, there's a number of ways that it can play out. It can play out awesome. 
very too awesome or there's a problem and we're, we're in kind of the awesome camp um, for equities broadly because of the broadening out that Josh talked about yesterday but you have been your show. right you've been a little uh, more second half of the year we've been we've been invested yeah, but, but you haven't been you haven't been using words like awesome to, to describe what what might lie ahead we were in for the higher for now, longer camp right we were in the higher for longer camp we thought inflation was not going to break the way it broke and obviously there's a lot of issues out there it's not like we weren't invested though we were invested I hear you and I do think when you think about the 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 awesome side of this you're going to see benefits from animal spirits IPO activity picking up M&A activity picking up while the labor market continues to remain strong as economic growth may accelerate. Where it becomes too awesome is kind of like 1998 after long-term capital when Greenspan fed the fuel on the fire and it, it kind of lit too high. But that can also be positive because we can stay positive for longer. The problem, and this is what I, what I want to get to, which I don't think is going to happen, is if the the um, the Fed starts to cause this reacceleration in inflation because energy prices have been key to this. As you pick up an economic activity, you get a weaker dollar, you're going to start to probably see some reacceleration in energy prices, which may change the inflation Maybe. narrative. Maybe. I mean, so I'm still hearing uh, Jimmy, Jimmy the Bull. Uh, about the lagging impact of what the Fed's already done from Wolf. No change in their bearish outlook for the market for 24. Some are pointing to 89% of stocks above their 50-day as a reason to sort of take a pause. And then, you know, I spoke with Gunlock yesterday right after Powell finished on Closing Bell about the idea that is money going to come out of money markets because rates are continuing to drop and then push into the stock market and that's going to fuel the next leg of the equity rally. Here's what he told me, because he thinks that might not be the case. I think the logic that people have that money market bloat is going to go into the stock market is wrong. I think it's unlikely for investors to go from risk-free six-month T-bills to the magnificent seven at, at massive PEs and all-time highs on the Dow Jones Industrials. I think they're much more likely to go from their mountain of cash in T-bills into bonds. I, I don't agree. Big surprise there, right? Um, but, you know, by the way, Rob doesn't agree. Josh said yesterday right after Gunlock finished that, with all due respect, he didn't agree. Yeah. So give me your reasons I, why you don't. I mean, look, I can understand his point that T-bills at 5% are attractive, but they're not as attractive as stocks that, depending on what sector you look at, might get 5% in a month. Um, now, look, I am a risk taker. I appreciate Jimmy the Bull as the, as the moniker. Um, but here's how I look at it. Here's how I rationalize it. I'm not just a guy with a nickname. Um, if you look at, say, non-tech stocks, right, a lot of these companies have had fabulous operational results. I'm talking about, you guys know these stocks with me, General Motors, uh, Alaska Airlines, Delta Airlines, Wind Resorts. I can go down a long list of stocks whose operational results have been nothing short of awesome, okay, but their share prices have stunk. And what you're seeing right now is the market market realized that that recession is less and less likely as the Fed pivots and that the durability of those awesome operational results is intact and is a giant mismatch from where the share prices are. So that 5% in a month, I mean, look, yesterday, look at those stocks I'm just naming. We're up 5%. A lot of them are up 5% today. I mean, if you look, if you want to play it safe, God bless you, take the T-bills. If you want to make some money, get in the stock market. So the problem with the T-bills, too, so you hear people screaming, 5%, 5%. Dude, it's an annualized 5%. If you don't own it for a year, 
and definitionally, you buy a six-month T-bill today, you will not own it for a year. And you roll it. In six months, you will roll it. You will not be rolling it at five unless the Fed stays where it is right now, which right. they're already telling you is, is it likely that they won't. So let's be careful when we say, oh, it's just 5% risk-free. Annualized. That's not 5% in your account. So everyone needs to like chill out with that also. I feel like there are, there are a couple of debate points to have around this whole issue of next leg of market rally and where it comes from, whether it's a rotation out of mega cap winners or if it simply is money from money markets, which Pascarello at, at Goldman addresses as well, where he says, quote, there's nearly six trillion sitting in money market funds. Household net worth around 150 trillion. Wage gains continue to outrun the rest of the inflation basket. So if households want to add some value to their, some value stocks to their portfolio, there are plenty of ways to do so that don't involve selling the winners. So he's making the case for money coming out of cash from money markets and going into stocks that you don't necessarily, Rob, have to have a bleed from mega cap tech to make anything happen in these other lagging areas. You don't. Uh, you could see it happen in financials, and we're seeing that in the last couple of days, last few weeks, frankly. You could see it happen in industrials. You're going to see it happen in other capitalizations like small cap, which is ripping. And I think that continues. I really do. I don't know that there's, um, th there's a bell that's going to ring to say to everybody, hey, now's the time to get out of these large caps. They're very fundamentally sound businesses, but you are definitely going to see a can broadening I a, Can out. I put a little mustard on that for you? Yeah. Because I like what you're saying. Um, I did this after, so, so we were on with Gunlock last night. He made the comment, uh, stocks are, are more overvalued than they were a few months ago. Um, I think it's important to point out some stocks are, and Jeff is right about that, but I, I made the comment on the whole, it's just not true. This is what I want to share. Uh, on a forward basis, we know the S&P 500 is selling at 19.3 times forward earnings. That's not cheap historically. It's obviously not cheap in absolute terms. Mid caps and small caps are both 14 times forward. But even more interestingly, even in the large cap universe, X-Tech, the S&P 500, 26 times, pull out tech, it's 17. So if I tell you, you can buy the average non-tech uh, S&P 500 name at a 17 forward PE, and the next move for rates is more likely to be down than up, you probably would look at that and say, okay, great, I already bought a lot of cash this year. I'm part of that group that added to $6 trillion in money market. My next move should probably be to add a stock, even if it's a large cap, if it's non-tech, and you're buying something at 12, 13, 14 times earnings. It's probably a more productive move, if you could think about it, from a three to five month standpoint, not, is this the right decision for the next 30 days? In equal weight, Josh, equal weight trades at a discount to where it typically does. The equal weight has equal weight yeah. to what, 15 yeah. times, right? 14, yeah. 15. And I think history is somewhere north of 16. Maybe growing as we're yeah. you know, watching the market sort of go down the tracks. Um, speaking of buying names, not small caps, Jimmy bought United Health. Bought United Health. Uh, there's a little bit of a story here. I'm going to do this out of order with where you started, okay. which is to say I sold Nike. Let's start there. Well, okay. you sold Nike, you sold Bristol. 
You use some of the Bristol proceeds to buy United Health. Just yeah. tell me the buy first, and then we get to the sell okay, part. Okay, so United Health is because I want health care exposure, all right? This, this sector has been a dog. We know that. It's lagged all year. I do think that the value is there, uh, the dividends are there, and I want to have healthy uh, health care exposure, no pun intended, going into 2024 for what is likely to be a mean reversion trade. But I had to buy United Health, you know, more or less, because I sold Bristol Myers. Bristol Myers is typical of the healthcare sector this year. It's just done awfully, and I needed that tax loss, Scott, because I sold Nike. Uh, Nike, you know, I'd held it for two and a half months after the last earnings report. That's short for you. And you know what? It's up 27% in two and a half months. You're exactly right. It is short for me. The market gave me this gift. I had to take it, Scott. Think about it just from a psychological point of view. Do I really want to go into next week's earnings report and risk that gain in two and a half months? The answer is, you know, it's a rhetorical question. Of course I don't. And I hope I hope that holders do well. I hope the earnings are great. The stock blows it out of the water. I got 27% in two and a half months. That would be good for a 12-month return for me. I'm going to take that money. I'm going to find other things to do with it. What do you guys... What do you guys make of these moves? Rob, you first. I mean, you own UNH. You own Bristol-Myers. You don't own Nike, but um, it is an interesting strategy to sort of take the money and run in a short period of time from a name like Nike, where Jim surveyed it for an awfully long period of time, wasn't ready to get in for an awfully long period of time, Mm -hmm. then did. Now he's out. Totally get what Jim did and appreciate what he did. Um, We did the opposite moves of Jim, though, in healthcare. We've been trimming UNH, have owned it for a very long time, and have been a a steady trimmer on declining profitability growth and free cash flow. Um, We did buy two weeks ago on the show BMY. So um, stocks underperformed the S&P by 50% year to date. It's down 37%. I'm sure there was some tax loss selling. Well, it was to offset Nike. Right, it was to offset it. the gain in Nike. Got it. It's so, portfolio management. Yeah, That's just all. portfolio management. Stocks cheap, trades at seven times. I think healthcare is going to be a beneficiary of this broadening out, and that's why we took a slightly. Why different is Bristol Myers so terrible this year? And <laughs> what? What? Do you, like, what's the catalyst that you think will turn the trend around? I don't follow it closely. I'm genuinely it's, curious. It, it's the business has been quietly performing well, and our thesis on that is that earnings are bottoming here. So really simple, we're we're trying to find ways to add value, uh, value stocks in portfolios. And that was one that two weeks ago we talked about on the show. Almost a 5% dividend yield. Is it like solid? Are they debating doing anything with it? I don't think so. Okay. Why don't you think that the gains, which by the way, Nike called top pick today at Barclays. um, And there's been a lot more positive commentary on Nike lately than almost any other footwear or apparel related stock. Remember, there's been a multitude of notes in the last two to three weeks where they've taken Lulu, for example, not necessarily in a downgrade, but down a notch in favor of a Nike on multiple lists that that stock has gone up. Yeah, I, look, I, if the stock goes to 140 from here, I'm happy for everybody who owns it. I will try to take those proceeds, which again, look, I bought the stock at 24 times forward earnings, which I was saying all along was my line in the sand. Maybe some people felt it's arbitrary, but I've had great success over the years buying Nike at that level. It's now at 30 times, right? That's what happens when it goes up 25%. Um, I will, Scott, try to find a stock with those proceeds to buy that will have the same or better return as Nike going from 120 to 140. But psychologically, and there is psychology involved here. I just don't want to go into that earnings report next week. I, I think they'll do fine, but if they do badly and all of a sudden my 27% gain evaporates, I don't want that. How do we feel today about financials, which have hit a 52-week high, Josh? 
Um, since November 1st, the real heart of this market burst, if you want to call it such. These stocks are up, most of them, more than 20%, in some cases greater than 25. The only one that's not is JPM, but it's up 17. So it's not exactly a slouch. Well, I think the steepening of the yield curve is the story here. And I think the anticipation of that happening, because of course it hasn't happened yet. Uh, but there were some serious questions about the balance sheets, uh, Bank of America most notably, a lot of mortgage debt uh, that they were upside down in, and a lot of debates about the held to maturity ver portfolio versus held for sale, and whether or not that was a legitimate way to even think about how much liability the bank had, et cetera. All of those debates kind of go away if, if we think the forward course of rates is that overnight rates are going lower and intermediate to long-term rates probably have peaked for the cycle. We could stop worrying so much about some of the things that have held those stocks down. And look at Bank of America. It's, it's almost like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. That, that's a parabolic move to the upside. You very rarely see in a company like that. So it's a pretty notable 180. I'm not in that stock. I'm in JP Morgan, though. It's at a 52-week high today, very happily. A lot of the financials have gotten that benefit of what's happening in rates. I don't really think there's much more to it than that. Jimmy, um, Mayo over at Wells Fargo today names your city his top 2024 pick. His number one large cap pick. Stock's up near 30% since November 1st. What do we think about financials here, specifically that stock which you own? I like the financials a lot here for a lot of the reasons that Josh just mentioned. I like Citigroup in particular. People have to understand this is not J.P. Morgan. It's not the same company. They shouldn't be compared to one another. This isn't an investment banking company. This is a security services and cash management company. And what Jane Frazier, who's been CEO for two and a half years, has done is the right thing. First, she started out by rationalizing the international businesses, getting rid of things that were non-core. That's done. Now she's rational the domestic business, getting rid of expenses, cutting layers of management. The, the street is applauding. This is what Mike Mayo and others have wanted all along, is to get the return on tangible equity for Citigroup up. You do that by cutting expenses, stocks being bought back by the company below book value. And oh, to there's something that Josh mentioned about, you know, as the Fed takes its foot off the neck of the economy, this helps, helps on the margins, uh, credit delinquencies. Citigroup has a very large credit card business. What, what is the growth story? So the stock is down 6% since she took over uh, versus an S&P that's up about 35%. What is the growth story? For, so we get it. She's restructuring. It sounds like you agree with those moves. Then what? Like how, how does this stock not be eight times earnings, you know, Forever. still still sitting at the same price roughly where it's been for 15 years. A couple of things. I mean, first off, keep it simple. And this is why I said the comparison to J.P. Morgan is not right. J.P. Morgan has a lot of awesome things going on. We know that. They're, I own they're goaded. Take them out right. of the conversation. <laughs> right. I agree. No, no, no. Got it. Okay. But Citigroup is just basic banking, Josh. It's just. Is that a good business? Yeah. It is. Well, it is if the economy does what we've we been long, talking about, what I've been talking about for quite some time. Banking. That's good. We yeah. like it. No wealth management, Look, really. You Nothing. lend at this rate, you borrow at this rate. It's really good. And at the same time, you're cutting costs. At the same time, your credit delinquencies are getting under control. Stock has a lot of cash flow. They're buying back those shares. And I know I talk about this a lot, but buying back shares below tangible book value, like at a 40% discount tangible book value, it's accretive on the balance sheet right away. 
So we're Overweight Financials. We started to add to our position in JP Morgan in June. November, we doubled our position in Wells and added Comerica. It's up 25% since we added it on the show two weeks ago. Um, I think you have to be overweight financials. There's going to be this broadening out of the value trade. Financials are one of the largest beneficiaries of that. In addition, these companies are very, very cheap, especially the regional banks. Would you add exposure here? Might be my final trade. Mm. Okay. Nice tease. Thank you very little. Um, okay. Let's address, I don't know if it's the elephant in the room or whatever, but let's, let's address mega cap. Okay. Um, did the game in any way, Josh, change for mega cap stock performance yesterday with this apparent pivot? That's what people are calling it by Powell. The rate trajectory is now lower. Yeah. Did the game change yesterday? The goalposts move at all for that trade? I think one of the things we've learned in the post-financial crisis period, we now have like a decade and a half of history. One of the things we've learned is that in periods of time where there is doubt about overall economic growth, these are the stocks that catch a bid and, and tend to lead the markets, both on the way up and they go down less than the overall market. And there's a good reason for that. They have secular growth, or maybe they used to more so than they will now, given how big they are. But there were market environments where there were serious concerns about global growth or U.S. growth or why can't the Fed stoke any inflation whatsoever? Why are we fighting disinflation? We had inverted yield curve in 2019, way before COVID. And these stocks were leading because when you have growth and growth is scarce, you're worth more to the investing public and they will bid your stock up. If the game is now going to change and we're not hung up on the, the, you know, the recession starts next week, no, the week after, no, the week after that, and we think there's a path for overall economic growth, it makes less sense to bid up the MAG-7 because they won't be the only growth in town. So that's the way that I think about these stocks. They get more coveted when no one else can grow. If other stocks, other sectors have their own growth story, they are less coveted mm -hmm. and therefore should shrink in proportion to the overall market. That's, that was kind of um, Rob Gunlock's point, too. It's not like he doesn't think stocks you know, can, no, I, can do well. It's just, a quote, I think you want equal weight rather than market cap weighted at, at this juncture. He's speaking directly of MAG-7. Um, the multiple expansion that we've, we've seen there. Apple, new record high today, but you saw the others on the list. There are several that are selling off just a little bit. Reiterated sector weighted key bank is Apple. Uh, a lot of the other names talked about almost on a daily basis. The stocks have just done incredibly well. I'll ask you the same question, though. Did the game change in any way yesterday? I, I think it's, if it hasn't, it's going to. Uh, we've been overweight tech all year. We're evaluating that right now. It's tough to evaluate it in December. As you're approaching year end, you've got a lot of clients that have huge embedded gains in these names and even just resizing the positioning. I'll give you an example. We've owned, we bought Broadcom in April. Okay, Broadcom has been such an unbelievable performer. Record high today, by the way. And it's uh, also reiterated overweight, 1,200 bucks the target at KeyBank. And it's also become our second largest position in very short order because of that performance. I think people have to pay attention as they go into next year about exactly what Josh talked about, which is where am I going to get the funds if they're not coming from cash and I don't want to increase equities, you're going to reallocate within equities. And so I do think there's this catch up. 
I think there's going to be beneficiaries beyond the Magnificent Seven, and you should be prudent. It doesn't mean you have to run from them. I think that would be foolish as well. These are companies that are some of the best businesses in the world, but you have to right-size them. Speaking of non-Mag 7 tech, Qualcomm overweight, 145 at KeyBank. That's a 52-week high today for that stock. Yeah, I mean, this dovetails exactly with what Josh and Rob were just saying. And let me point out a data point that may seem arcane, but it actually matters. South Korean exports are up heavily. Okay, what does that mean? You think South Korea is exporting lettuce? No, they're exporting semiconductor <laughs> chips. And this is semiconductor outside of AI. This <laughs> I was, was going to guess kimchi. That was pretty good. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, but, you know, these are semiconductor chips outside of AI. These are mobile phone. These are these are automotive. This is Internet of Things. It's even laptops, okay? It's clear that the cycle has turned for mobile, which is helping Qualcomm. It's also never turned down for automotive, which is why NXP and Qualcomm are doing well. AMD, Josh, yours top pick for the first half of next year at Rosenblatt. 52-week hide again. Price target, 200 bucks. I mean, this is one that I don't own enough of. I, I typically buy a stock, and my assumption is I'll be wrong. It'll get cheaper. Um, I, I consider that a form of schmuck insurance, just the way I carry myself generally in life. I shouldn't have done that here. I should have owned more. So now I got a stock that's up like 45% in a month, and I barely own enough to even get excited. So I don't really know how to answer your question or whether or not that does. I just wanted to share that because I think if I bottle it up, it doesn't do me any favors later in the day. All right. I appreciate you letting that out. You feel better? No. <laughs> Maybe you will after the break, because we're going to take one. When we come back, calls of the day. We've got a ton of analyst activity today. I've got some stuff on Palo Alto. We're talking Live Nation, Wynn, GM, Honeywell, Delta, and on and on. We'll do them next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. All right, here we go. Calls of the day. We've got a number to get through. ATH, all-time high for Palo Alto today. The price target to 350 We do have ownership of cyber stocks. Not that specific, but Josh, you got CrowdStrike. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, this is, for, from my perspective, this is going to be a, a growing pie. I don't think it matters that much which slice you own, but I think be careful because eventually there are going to be some very clear winners and not as many players as there are, they are, there are today. My personal opinion, CrowdStrike is going to be in the winner's circle. I've been saying that for years. Stock's up like 150% this year. I'm sticking with it. I think it goes higher. Rob, um, Fortinet is your play here. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the metrics on this company, 40% free cash flow margins, growing at 30% year on year. To Josh's point, these businesses are phenomenal. Anytime there's a concern, though, with any slowing top line, you're going to get pullbacks because they're fully valued names, yeah. right? So you're in a... None of them are cheap. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right, let's do Live Nation. Uh, that's yours, Josh. Upgraded today to overweight. Uh, that's at Morgan Stanley. Price target 
about 25% higher than where it is now. You're giving me all my Hanukkah gifts in one night. I don't know what we're doing here. It's, too, it's, almost, too, it's almost too many. Uh, Live Nation looks great. Uh, look, the stock basically sat out most of this year. It's been back and forth between the 70s and where it is right now. I do think there will be a breakout, though, at some point. I'm keeping this holding as well. Um, the concert business is absolutely on fire. What Taylor Swift did this year is absolutely historic. She won't be the only one. I think next year you'll have massive tours. I could reel off a list of five or ten names. Uh, a very big one, Drake and J. Cole. These are all Live Nation venues. You're going to see uh, you're going to see Chris Stapleton and his whole festival on tour. There's going to be a whole host of names. Luke Combs. I can go down the list. I think Live Nation is the way to play, regardless of what's on your playlist. This is where the money is being made right now. That's not going to change. Jimmy, at Win, uh, your stock top pick at J.P. Morgan. Overweight, 104 bucks. We see this as a mid-cap way to play the Macau recovery while capitalizing on strong domestic trends in Vegas. I mean, and there's a ton of reasons to back that up. I mean, first off, if you listen to the last conference call, uh, Wynn said that the Formula One race a few weeks ago was going to be a record for their weekly revenue in their hotels. And, and, and I don't care what happened with the race. They had record revenues. They got the Super Bowl coming up. The sphere is, you know, rolling all around that city. And by the way, on Macau, it's not just a recovery from Macau. It's the multiples that are being played on the Macau levels right now are out of whack with how good the game the gross gaming revenue is right now at Macau there's all sorts of positive they're buying back shares they they initiated a dividend a couple of quarters ago this is a ridiculously cheap stock I like win a lot are you finally going to get some performance from GM I think now? so I think so because it was so. it was named a top pick as well at Morgan Stanley 40 bucks is the price target for yeah. that stock right there Adam Jonas excellent excellent analyst he, he's in some sort of toxic relationship with GM and the industry I think he wants to cover another industry honestly because he says I'm reading it right now heading into 2024 we remain concerned about the future of the US auto industry even more than during the fiscal crisis of 2008 2009 well, he's been worried about what they're spending right but they've pulled that back they've pulled that back and internal combustion engines are going through the roof I mean you know by the way prices are coming down on new cars that's good that's good for the economy volume is going up more than enough to make make up for that right. profits are terrific they've got a lot of cash at GM a lot of cash flow they're buying back a quarter of the company in, company in an accelerated share repurchase it, the recession's off the table can we agree on that well, I mean look at the stock over one month 20 26 percent recessions off the table and that's going to continue Honeywell Robbie uh, reiterated buy today at Goldman price target 230 bucks all these economically sensitive names win GM Honeywell I, I mean I think what you're seeing is the fact that lower rates are going to stimulate economic activity prospectively investors are getting out in front of that um, you know, and it, it's going to benefit names like this and the others mentioned. Do you not love Jimmy's inner monologue as he talks? I do. I do. <laughs> it comes out. He will give him another chance right now because Delta was reiterated by it. Goldman price target goes to 47. Relatively strong balance sheet, they say. Accelerating growth in high margin businesses like customer loyalty. Uh, great airline, but I think emblematic of the airlines overall. This is what I was saying earlier and what Rob was just saying. The operational results of these companies have been nothing short of fabulous, nothing short of awesome. The share prices have languished because of concern of a recession. As Josh said, and it was funny, you know, the recession is going to be next week. No, the week after next. Guys, it's off the table, all right? The durability of these operational results is intact, and with that, the share prices should go higher. What about Boeing, which was called a top pick today at Goldman? 
a lot of momentum, a lot of positive sentiment at Boeing, and I think it's deserved. Um, this is Boeing's victory to not lose, okay? As long as the production continues to increase, and they're going to go to 42 uh, a month in 737 MAX production in February. That's a lot. That's going to generate free cash flow. It's going to allow them to pay down the debt that's on the balance sheet. Things are looking great. Order book is fabulous. And by the way, at some point, I think soon, China's going to place an order. That's a catalyst that, that is not in the stock right La now. Last but not least, Depot. Rob, you guys have Depot and Lowe's. Target at Home Depot, 370 at Guggenheim today. Set up to impress investors in a transition period before its plans to grow its pro segment takeoff. Yeah. Again, household formation is not is not slowing down. I think, you know, as as interest rates come in, economic activity is going to pick up again, specifically in the housing, in the housing area, and they're going to be beneficiaries of that. The stock's been been on a tear. I'm glad we held on to it. I was I was tempted to tempted to let it go earlier this year. It did nothing for a very long time. You know what's so time. great about Home Depot, and I don't own it, and, and I feel terrible every time I look at it. What's so great is in a terrible housing market like the one we're in now, which is basically frozen, right? So people have to stay put. What do they do? They spend money to renovate. Yeah. In a great housing market, guess what? They go to Home Depot anyway, and it now they're build. building. And it's it's almost like you win either way because they're so good at executing. You do have to be patient a lot of times with this stock, though. Yes. It, it, it stalls for periods of time. And like I said, patience has been rewarded. All right. Uh, let's get the headlines now with Julia Borston. Hi, Julia. Hey, Scott. Former President Trump's bid to overturn the gag order in his civil fraud trial denied today by New York State Appeals Court. The court ruled the impact of the gag order was limited and narrow and that the gravity of potential harm from it was small. Closing arguments are underway now in the trial of Jonathan Majors, the actor and Marvel star accused of assaulting his former girlfriend. The defense arrested his case Wednesday. The jury is expected to begin deliberations today. He faces up to a year in prison if convicted on all charges. And you don't see this very often, a bull on the loose in northern New Jersey. It was spotted this morning on tracks near Newark's Penn Station. Police eventually corralled him behind a fence and tranquilized him. He was taken to a nearby animal sanctuary. No word yet on how he got there in the first place. Scott, that's a pretty unusual reason to have delays for New Jersey Transit. It's like a metaphor for something. If they don't name that. They don't name that bull Tom Lee. Those are, I don't know. Those are my peeps. Those Julia, are my peeps on the tracks. That's Julia Borston. Somebody sent that around earlier. I thought it was fake. It's too good. It's too on the nose. It's a, it's a, it's like a meme, but it actually happened. The bull's running. The bull is running today. Uh, not in every stock. Not in every stock. We're going to show you one that's down pretty substantially today on its guidance. It's from the software space. We do have ownership up here. We'll do it next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. It's not all fun and games today, is it, Robbie? Adobe. <laughs> Adobe's down six and a half percent. Well, no, it's less than that, about five and a half now. Guidance was weak. It's one of the worst stocks in the S&P today, and you own it. We do own it, but let's not neglect to say that it's up 88 percent. That's fine. Giving, giving That's some fine. back. And, you know, listen, the guidance wasn't good. The earnings didn't beat as much as expected. This is the danger of owning a stock that's kind of priced for perfection. 
because if you end up having not a perfect outcome, your stock's going to take a hit. And it, do, it doesn't invalidate the, the company, but I think that the setup for this entire AI ecosystem mm -hmm. is one where, you know, the, the expectations are so high that a lot of these stocks, if they disappoint, you're going to see stock price reactions like this. It's no surprise. In the break, Josh, you were flagging Snap shares, which are up 4% today. I'm trying to count how many days in a row this stock is up, and I, I lost track at like 13. It, it conceivably could be up 15 straight days or something like that. There's something interesting going on here where their Snap Plus users have surprised to the upside. They had 5 million users of Snap Plus, which people pay $3.99 a month for. That jumped to above seven unexpectedly. And one of the main reasons is the AI tools they're giving to those users. Imagine you're a user of Snap. Imagine you're 14 years old again. Your friend sends you one of these AI-generated images and you're like, how'd you get that? And they're like, oh, Snap Plus. Oh, I want Snap Plus. So the AI story at Snap is really interesting in that it could be generating more paid subs than Wall Street expects. They got an upgrade on Monday from Wells Fargo, $22 price target. I am not in this name. It's been on my radar for a long time. It's down huge over the last three years, and now I'm watching it. It was a $7 stock. I mean, it's a word up. the 52-week range is from seven and change to seven, the 17 you're seeing here. And they're actually selling something that's not an advertisement. So the main, the main revenue source for Snap is ads, hence why the stock's so terrible. Um, but this is another business that they're in that actually might have legs. So I'm, I'm gonna start paying attention now. Let's kick uh, Berkshire around for a second because they're buying more Oxy. Uh, it's like a broken record because they've been buying so much for so long at this point. Yeah, they love it. Twenty-seven percent is the stake. Why don't you hit that quick, and then I'll hit Jimmy too, because you guys both own own Berkshire. The thing to keep in mind about Berkshire is that they are not a dilettante when it comes to energy. I think they own the second largest utility in the United States. So they understand not only the output side, but the input side as well. And so seeing them continue to accumulate the stock, uh, I think should get people's attention. Energy has been a tough sector this year. It's lagged pretty much everything. But these are companies with tons of cash flow. A lot of them are paying big dividends. And I think if Berkshire is this committed, we should probably give the space a second look as well. Jimmy. Exactly. Tons of cash flow from the space. And I think it's easy when oil comes down from 90 to $70 a barrel for people to say, oh, see, this is, this is why we never own uh, fossil fuel companies. That's the wrong way to look at this. We need fossil fuels for the next several years. Uh, it's highly likely that the economy recovers not only here but globally in the next year. That pushes oil demand up. This stock trades at a 10% free cash flow yield. That's what's attracting Warren Buffett to it. And those free cash flows are likely to grow as energy recovers. It's All right, so we have more, uh, more stock stuff ahead. Uh, Steve Weiss alerted us to a, a stock that he's buying. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. You'll hear from Weiss. Mike Santoli's on the other side of the break as well with his midday word. All right, we are back. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, joining us with his midday word. I can't hear. Uh, I can't wait to hear what it is today, Michael. Uh, you know, we have the uh, no pain, big gain trade on. It seems like everyone has decided that there isn't going to be really a dangerous trade off between what we can expect in terms of easier financial conditions and uh, economic growth. So that's the view from today. Um, you know, on, on one hand, you take it in really short bites. Yep, the big indexes are looking pretty extended uh, on a very short term basis. Seems like we've had this culmination moment where all the things you've been asking for has more or less been delivered. On the other 
hand, you know, markets up, S&P is up less than 3% from the high on December 1st. Obviously, it's flat over a two-year basis. And as you guys have been discussing, so many things below the very top of the index have just done nothing or worse for a long period of time. So today's a Bank of America, Home Depot, you know, type of upside leadership day as opposed to a Microsoft and Lilly. So that can probably work its way through for a little while right here. And, uh, you know, the dollar is in free fall. Everything is kind of falling into line. So something always comes along, you know, to, to kind of disturb that happy, uh, happy picture. But for now, uh, people are acting on it. I don't really also think that people are super over their skis with exposure. I was looking at the National Association of Active Investors managers, the fresh weekly numbers just midday today, and they're below the equity exposures of July, even though they've chased this rally to some degree. Hey, Mike, uh, 91% of the S&P 500 above the 50-day. That's the highest since November of 2022. 78% uh, of S&P 500 names above the 200-day. That's the highest since January of this year. Historically, not the best place to be adding new positions. Right. Maybe not a sell signal, um, but usually not optimal. You'd agree with that, right? I would. So you have all these signals like that, which say, you know, we've come a long way in a short period of time. It's been a pretty indiscriminate rally in the short term. On the other hand, usually the forward implications of that, if you go out a few months, are positive. So right. when you have one of these big rushes higher uh, with almost every stock uh, running, uh, it is usually time to cool off a little bit. I don't know if that happens, you know, in the in this sort of seasonal air pocket here, but you're absolutely right. That's what I mean by saying it's kind of extended, but the message of what the market is, is trying to price in here is still relatively encouraging. Yeah, I mean, you've got 700 points nearly on the Dow uh, since yesterday afternoon. Yeah. So your point's well taken. Mike, I'll see you in a little bit. Our right. closing bell, thank you. Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. Up next, we're tracking the trades. As always, I told you Steve Weiss just added a new name to his portfolio. It got Farmer Jim's attention as well. I'll tell you about it next. All right, welcome back. I told you Steve Weiss was making a move, joins us now. Uh, I think he's on the phone. Uh, Weiss, so you bought, you bought back deer, which you sold in the summer. Why'd you do that? I did, I did. And when I sold in the summer, I said the stock trades is about 370 to, uh, to 410 while we're trying to figure out the economy and trying to figure out what's going on with farmers, construction, all of which they're involved in. Um, so I actually did buy a little at, at 470, very, very little, and it didn't hold, traded down to about 462. But as Powell was talking yesterday, I said, how do I get exposure in the sickles? Because the only exposure I truly have is in Freeport, which uh, which is doing quite well. And Deer was the easiest for me to go to because it's a company I know well. So I bought some yesterday as he was talking. I bought a little bit more this morning. Then the stock just ran too much. So I can't tell you it's going to be a long-term hold, but I'll tell you what I do like about the company. And the reason why it may not be a long-term hold is so I think, again, I'll be able to get it cheaper. They cut their production schedule a little bit early in the year. So management is, is pretty astute as to what's going on in the market. While prices are coming down, so it's kind of, it's kind of ironic in a way, because inflation's come down, allowing Powell to say what he said yesterday in the dot plot, which is what I was really focused on, uh, to add some high, another hype for this year. Mm -hmm. Prices coming down in commodities, as we've seen with corn, as we've seen with beans, soybeans, etc., isn't great for the farmers. 
So, so you've got that, that little juxtaposition of a place come down, but not come down where you want to come down here. Nonetheless, there's going to be a continued broadening of the market, in my view, and this is the best way for me to get into it, because okay. I know it. The others I'm looking at, frankly, and this will make Jim happy as well, hopefully, are General Motors. I'm also looking at BMW, because it's got a much larger dividend. So... Hopefully, some of these fall back where I can get the exposure. And then the only calculation I have to go through is even if there are weak earnings, which I still believe will be the case in the January quarterly announcements for the fourth quarter, will the market continue to look through it? And right now, I'm sort of leaning at the market will look through those uh, announcements. But you want to keep powder dry to buy on the initial hit. Like wow. we're seeing wow. with Adobe today, where you know it can be kind of brutal on a, on a sell-off. I was waiting for you to finish. I was waiting for you to finish your commentary with, and I just want to end with the note that uh, Jim's been right, and um, I'm sorry for trying to beat him up for all these months uh, on, on the market because he's looking pretty good right now. And if you if you bought Deer and even managed to utter the words, I'm looking at General Motors. To him, we could show his face. I, I mean, that is well, I, I say a, that, but a wow. seal of approval of him and his view like I've never seen before. I, listen, i got to hand yeah, it to actually, Steve. Actually, it's not, Scott. It, it, it's not. In all seriousness. Stop while you're ahead, Mike. <laughs> no, no, you're no, ahead. You're, no. Listen, I, I Steve, am not ahead. <laughs> Let me just finish the thought. It's actually not a seal of approval because Jim's positioning, everybody has different as a value player, value positioning. It really hasn't worked the whole year. The only things that's worked are what stocks I've been involved in, Meta, Microsoft, and others. So, uh, so while Jim's been bullish, it's all where you put your dollars. It's about positioning. All right. I'm still going to be gracious, even though he's being a snot there. Um, Steve, I do applaud you. Here's why. When the facts change, you got to change with it. That's what you've done. You've been bearish, and now you're clearly pivoting with the facts on the ground. I'm going to let the snottishness go. i got to applaud you. God Thank bless you, us, Jim. Everyone. I wish I could be a better man. Thank I do, you. too. I do, too, Steve. We're coming. New Year coming. You know, I thought this conversation was going to just have a, a much much lovelier tone to it. I'm, I'm sorry that it didn't. Weiss, you, thank you. Really you. We'll that? see you. You know, I, I, actually, I actually did. Are you new, are you I, I new here? I actually did. <laughs> Apparently, I'm, I'm, I'm naive. Uh, we're back with finals next. All right, we'll see how long this pop's going to continue uh, post-Powell in this pivot. As, as folks are calling it. We'll definitely talk about that on Closing Bell today, of course, at 3 o'clock Eastern time. We'll run you right into the close, see if we maintain these record highs. The Dow, again, 37,000, almost 250. So 500-plus yesterday. You've got another 160 today. We'll see what we do. We've got Anastasia Amoroso joining the conversation, Marco Cotta, uh, Stacey Rascon, Joe Ternova as well. So we'll have some fun a couple hours' time, 3 o'clock. Um, do you want to talk about just what's happened in this market? Yeah, we actually uh, have a breakout in progress in shares of Empire State Realty Trust, which we've talked about on the show. Not for a while. Last time we talked about it, it was 7 bucks. Uh, this fall, now it's almost 10 I think it can get above 10 It's been part of this huge rally in real estate, especially office real estate. Company is profitable, paying a big yield. I think uh, just too cheap under 10 I'm staying with it for those who are curious. How do we think about, Rob, um, yield plays, whether it's REITs, utilities, yields continuing to come down, broke below 4% on the 10-year? Did that game change yesterday? 
100%. I think a lot of the risk has been taken off the table on a lot of those those names. They've lagged so much. The price performance has been uh, devastating for some, and you're seeing a major catch up there. I mean, utilities are, are down today. Jimmy, how would you think about that question about, you know, we spent, what, what do we spend, a, a week straight mentioning utilities every day because they were down for like I, I nine would say or the offensive componentry, not the defensive component. So more like the reads. Yeah, I, I, I think the important part is the defensive element of these. I mean, these stocks, a lot of the utilities just got hammered in the middle of this year. Um, so now they're not as expensive as they were at the end of last year. Maybe they're attractive, not just on the yield basis, but on them having come down and having attractive valuations. Dollar, you know, obviously dropping yesterday. Energy, the leading sector today, near 3%. What do we think about energy stocks here? I mean, if you're if you're somebody that believes in mean reversion and you want to go into the new year with an underperformer, that's probably the best place. Oh, I forgot we're doing finals. Just give me a name. Uh, Zoom. What do you got? Comerica. Paramount. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Good old Paramount. Yep. Making my bed. Let's right. see if I sleep comfortably. <laughs> right, see a closing bell. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.